All right, why am I carrying a big rock? <laughs> Tell us. All right, tonight we're talking about Ebenezer's. Most people don't know what that word means. What do you think of? Yeah, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's the first one. Um, Ebenezer stands for Stone of Help. It's one of the one of the ways. Or Rock of Memory is a way to describe it. Um, it's basically a commemoration of divine assistance. So um, where this comes from is 1 Samuel 7.12. You can go to the next slide. Oh. Um, 1 Samuel 7.12 says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So, why are we talking about Ebenezer's tonight? Why did I carry a big stone up here? What's the dealio with that? That's not the scripture slide. Something else. Um, Ebenezer's are just a way, like I said, to commemorate divine assistance. Um, This has been a big deal in my life the last few years. And so for my final sermon... I decided I'm going to talk about this. And so what it is, is basically just the way I look at it, is all the kind of bumps in the road where God has stepped in and intervened in my life and kind of put things or changed direction or whatever, basically divine assistance. Um, There we go. So what's happening here? in 1 Samuel is the Israelites oh thank you the Israelites have been fighting the Philistines the Philistines are the bad guys the Israelites are the good guys and the Philistines have been kind of kicking their butts Um, a couple chapters earlier in 1 Samuel the Philistines like killed 4,000 men Um, The Philistines at one point actually stole the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites. And so Israel is just like struggling. They're just getting pounded on. And at the beginning of this chapter, it says the Israelites turned back to the Lord. They'd been running away. They'd been getting caught up with other gods. They turned back to the Lord. And so right before this, it says, God step in and thundered. God, well, I don't know what he did. He created thunder. It just said he made a sound like thunder. 
and it confused the Philistines to the point where they didn't know what was going on, and Israel swooped in, and um, the Philistines were subdued. So then you get this verse. It says, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, just two geological places, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer really only shows up three times in the Bible, like that particular word, but it's, it's the concept that we're going to be talking about tonight of um, memory, remembering, um, using a physical object to aid in remembering things. Um, after this, it says that the Philistines stopped invading Israel's territory for the rest of Samuel's life. So they turned back to God. They defeated the Philistines. Samuel took this stone and set it in this place to commemorate what the Lord has done for the Israelites. And this is always what the Lord has done, not just cool stuff that happened in your life. It's what the Lord has done, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, we have quite a few Ebenezers in this place, in this room. Um, this cross is one of them. We had a woodworking group, and the guys all decided we should make something for scum. And it was decided, well, scum needs a cross. We didn't have a cross in here anywhere. And then they decided, well, let's take Ebenezer's. Let's take, take things that are meaningful to each of the guys in the group and put them on the cross. So all that stuff that's in there, bits and pieces of watches and jewelry and pottery and a course of you know a bike sprocket um is was all meaningful to the guys who built that cross and it was a way to show how all how our inner ebenezers how the the ways that god has impacted our life um converge and then they gave that to scum as a gift so when you look at that you can see that's a cool cross made of junk. Or you can look at it and see that's a place where God stepped in in the lives of the guys who made that, in the life, in the life of scum. Um, that's the purpose of doing this. Um, it's, it's a physical way to remember something. We are forgetful creatures. We forget really easily. Kathy and I were talking about some people that we knew who used to go to scum who had very tangible, very powerful experience with God, with the Holy Spirit, with whatever. And now in their lives, it's as if they've seemingly turned their back on him is as if they've forgotten that they had a direct encounter with the Almighty God in their life, and they've forgotten about it. Like, and that story 
is all too common. Probably you know people maybe that you grew up with or whatever, and you're like, had a powerful encounter with God, and now they've turned their back on him for whatever reason. They've forgotten the impact of that thing in their life. Um, Remembering shows up in Scripture all over the place. I just picked one passage to illustrate tonight. Um, Basically, this is in Deuteronomy, and this is sort of like Moses' final, whatever, message to the Israelite people before they crossed over into the promised land, which Moses did not go with them. But like Deuteronomy 4.9, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. You can go to the next one. Again, in Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 14, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Next one. Oop, back one. Uh, last one, same chapter, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So that's what we're talking about tonight. Remembering, talking about Ebenezer's, uh, and the place that it has in your life. So... I'm going to tell you the quick abridged version of my story, Uh, and I'll point out some things as I go along. I'm an old guy now. I was born in the 70s. Uh, I was born in a Christian family. So Jesus and God were just a part of my life. I didn't know anything different. I don't remember exactly when, but sometime around seven or eight, I got saved. Uh, And I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. Um, So you may say, oh, I hate it when people talk about hell, but I'm a testimony to say that it worked on the eight-year-old. I didn't want to go to hell, so I said, yeah, I'm down with Jesus. I will do that. Um, I was at camp. Uh, I was at a summer camp, and it was during campfire. It was a very emotional time. Um, But regardless, that's the point when I gave my life to Jesus. Shortly after, I'm going to try to move through here. Shortly after that, the church that my family was a part of, we had some trouble with them. Um, and we left that church. Um, and at the time, I was in sixth grade, just getting ready to go into middle school, junior high, whatever. And 
I was stoked. I was like, cool. I don't have to get up on Sunday mornings and go to church anymore. This is pretty rad. Um, and so that lasted for about four years. And occasionally my parents would be like, okay, we need to find a church. And so we'd get up and we'd go to a church and we'd maybe go for a month or so. Uh, and then we would stop. Uh, my parents had a lot of healing that had to happen in their lives um, from the church that we were a part of. And that took some time. So then uh, at this point, I'm in high school. My brother and sister have moved out of the house. They're in college. And um, two Sundays in a row, I ended up at my friend Cam's house, or two Saturday nights in a row, I ended up at my friend Cam's house. And he said, why don't you spend the night and go to church with me the next morning? And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, I like church, you know, hadn't really been in four years, but yeah. Um, so I called my mom and she was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll just pick you up afterwards. And so I did that. And then I went to church those two Sundays and I realized that I really missed church as a 14 year old kid. Um, hit the next picture. This is Dave as a 14 year old. I've threatened to do this for years and years, so there it is, folks. That's Dave as a cheerleader, as a sophomore in high school, at a football game, because I have team spirit. <laughs> uh, that kid, 14-year-old kid, is the one who decides, I want to go back to church. Um... I really don't know why. I don't know how it happened. Uh, I just missed it. Um, so my mom would drive me to church on Sundays and sit in the car and wait for me. For about two or three months, this happened. And then my mom was like, one day she was like, oh, my 14-year-old son is going to this place, and I have no idea who these people are and what is happening there. She's like, I better go check it out. And then she got involved at the church, and then we started going, and then she eventually worked at that church as the worship pastor, and is a very good thing, very healing for my family. Um, so also around this time, uh, I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago in my sermon about knowing Scripture, but also around this time, I started reading the Bible for myself, um, just to know what it said, and that was a life-changing moment. Um, so then, um, my senior year of high school, I'd been going to camp, like I said, since I was a little kid. Camp was sort of the one constant through that whole time. Every summer I'd go to camp, uh, church camp. My senior year we had, a, we had a thing called winter camp, so it was every year in February we'd go for like a weekend. My senior year I went to winter camp and it was just a huge bummer. Um, like a bunch of my friends didn't come. Like nothing was bad, it was just I'd had a terrible time. And it was hurtful to me. Like it sounds so dumb. But I was really wounded by this experience. Like camp had suddenly lost all of its luster, lost all of its 
place in my life. Um, and I was really frustrated with that for a long time. And it took me years and years to figure out. I just kind of had this bad taste in the back of my head and it took me years. And then what I realized is that God, that camp had become an idol. And God was removing that idol from our relationship. Um, I've said this many times, and I don't think that God takes chances, but it feels like that sometimes. But I'm like, I say, I say all the time, God took a chance on me when my parents stopped going to church when I'm in the sixth grade. Like, right when I'm going into middle school, and I could have walked away easily. When I'm a senior in high school, about ready to go away to college and move on, you know, become an adult, whatever, all that stuff. Um, God takes away the one sort of place of security in my life that I had had with him um, during that time. So after this, I went to college. I went into a horrible depression, uh, one of the worst that I've ever had in my life. I dropped out of college. I moved home. I started working for my dad, building houses, um, and just was not doing anything, really, not doing much. Um, helping out, running sound at my mom's church. Um, but really not much was going on. Still depressed. Um, still just trying to figure out life and what was going on. Uh, and then the sort of the next phase in this life was then <coughs> I met Scarlett. Um, was going to a college group uh, at a church, and Scarlett had moved to town from California. Um, so, well, yeah, I'll tell this part. So the first night I saw her, we hadn't met. Um, I saw her leaving the place where everybody was hanging out and getting into her car. And I was like, I, want, I need to get to know that girl. Um, so I was smitten from the start. Um, anyway, we started dating, blah, blah, blah. Life moved along. Um, during this time, I got baptized. I was 23 at this point in time, 24. Um, why didn't I get baptized when I was a kid? I don't know. It didn't make sense. It didn't occur to me. I had already given my life to Jesus. Baptism had been explained to me I don't know how many times, but it just didn't make any sense to me. So when I was 24, it finally made sense to me. I got baptized. So what happened when I'm 24, I get baptized, um, I get engaged to my wife. And so what we, what the way we always looked at this was my baptism was sort of the beginning of my ministry. Like when Jesus was baptized, that was the start of his sort of formal ministry. And that's kind of what we looked at with me being baptized when I was 24. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. Um, I've been in part or full-time ministry in some form or another ever since that point in time. Um, Scarlett and I got married. Um, we had a goal in our lives of doing missions work. And we pursued that. Uh, I went on a mission trip, my first mission trip in 99. 
We went uh, again on another one in 2000 together. Um, Scarlett led a couple mission trips. She was working at a church as a youth pastor at the time. Um, and then in 2003, I went to Bulgaria. Um, so life was happening. Things were good. We were doing what we had set out to do with our marriage, blah, blah, blah. Then I lost my job. I was fired two weeks before Christmas. Um, and the firing was stupid, but it was perfectly on the up and up. Like, I was angry for a long time, but they had every right to fire me. I was doing things as an employee and taking advantage of my employer that I shouldn't have been. It was hard. It was tough. Um, and that just kind of put our life, I don't know, in a downward slope for a while. At least, you know, that's the way we viewed it. Um, so the next, in my notes here, I just have struggle written down. The next many years are just struggle. Um, every, I mean, I just worked every chance I had. Um, I was fired from this place, and then three days later they called me back and said, we want you to do all the same work that you were doing, but just now as a freelancer. And I said, yeah, absolutely, because I needed the work. But what I was, didn't know, and I was dumb, is that I now had to pay my taxes myself. So I was making more per hour, but I wasn't making enough to get by. Um, so we struggled. Uh, and I had to, you know, kind of suck that up working for the employer who fired me, um, still doing the same job that I was doing, just now in my basement at home. Um, we bought a house, and four years later, we lost that house. In 2007, when everybody else got screwed, we got screwed too. We got into a bad mortgage, and we had to do a short sale on our house and get out. So we have no equity, we have no savings, we have nothing. Scarlett and I are losers, everybody. <laughs> um, then we had Cora. That's a good thing. Then, shortly after Cora was born, we got the opportunity to move to Denver. Um, one thing I left out is we, we had been doing uh, the refuse down in Colorado Springs. Um, and then after that ended, I stayed on staff at SCUM, but I was still living in Colorado Springs. So I was driving up to Denver twice a week for staff meeting and for service. Um, so then when we were finally able to move to Denver, um, I started working for SCUM. But those first probably two years we were in Denver were probably about the toughest years that we've had in our life. Um, we have a baby, a toddler. Um, I'm working full-time, crazy schedule, and working at SCUM. Scarlett's staying at home with Cora. Um, and again, it was just a lot more struggle. Uh, then Declan came along. Yay. It's a good thing. And then after this, I, 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 we kind of just settled into what I call just mundanity. Um, things were getting better slowly. We were figuring some things out. We got our finances in order. But then it was just kind of the same. 
day in, day out, you know, hanging out with the kids. Um, Scarlett went back to work, and I stayed home with the kids um, and was just working at SCUM while she was working the full-time job. Uh, and it just kind of settled into that for a long time. Um, Well, I'll, just, I'll finish this up. So then, um, two years ago, um, I got the opportunity to go back to Serbia, back to Croatia, which was the first mission trip that I had gone on back in 99. So 18 years later, I got to go back and do a trip with the same people that I was with 18 years before. This came out of the blue. This was, I was literally sitting uh, at one of my other jobs, <laughs> on a Sunday morning looking at Facebook and I saw like, hey, this mission trip is coming up. We need help. We need a bass player, blah, blah, blah. And I sent it to Scarlett and I was like, oh, this would be so much fun. You know, and I wasn't considering that I could even do it. And she said, yeah, I think that might work out. And I was like, what? Um, that was a huge boost for me personally um, to be able to go and do that again. But it was also the start of what I've realized kind of where I'm at now. I struggled a lot on that trip. The trip was great, but I struggled uh, a lot the first three days, just wrestling with God. You know, after we'd finished playing a concert, we'd climb in the van and get to go drive to the next place. And I would just be sitting there in prayer, talking to God being like, what am I doing here? You ordained this. You made this happen, and I feel completely useless. Um, and we worked through some things. Uh, and to where the rest of the trip was good, but it kind of started some stuff in me that leads me to this place where we are at today of leaving scum. Um, that's not the entire story, but that I've realized... Over the last few months, that was sort of the beginning of it, was what happened on that trip. So again, nothing super interesting in my story, nothing really bad, um, pretty generic, you know, had some ups and downs, had some struggles in life, had a lot of good stuff happen. Um, but what I want to point out through all this, my story um, to you guys is sort of the rhythm to it. Um, so I put a star next to the places where I felt like God had stepped in and given us divine assistance. So the first one is getting saved when I was eight. The next one is um, going back to church when I was 14. The next thing is when I met Scarlett, got baptized, and devoted my life to ministry. Um, the next one after that would be, you know, like the birth of Cora and moving to Denver. Um, even though that was simultaneously hard, that was still a direction, a, a thing that God had given us. Um, and then kind of last on that list is Serbia um, two years ago. There's a ton that I'm leaving out. Um, you guys know me. I love to tell stories. There's so much other stuff in there. 
Um, and I was looking at this and I was like, wow, I got saved. Then my family left church and we went through years of struggle. Then I went back to church as a teenager. And then from there, years of struggle. Went to college, had depression, blah, blah, blah. Then I met Scarlett. Then after that, years of struggle. Moved to Denver, years of struggle. <laughs> so it doesn't sound great, does it? It doesn't sound very exciting. You guys all want to experience this, don't you? And then as I was looking at this and looking at this scripture, I was like, well, what if I'm looking at this wrong? What if I'm... So I flipped everything around the other way. So I was born, even though I was born into a Christian home, I still hadn't given my life to God. There was struggle. And then I was saved. And that's a point where God could say, okay, now you're ready for the next part. And then struggle happened. We left church. Um, but then God was like, I'm going to bring you back. And I missed it. And so it was a blessing for me to do this as a teenager. Um, then more struggle. Dropping out of college, coming home, doing all this stuff. And then, but then I meet Scarlett and I devote my life to ministry. And we did together as a family. Um, and we got to do some really cool stuff. Um, Then I lose my job. Then more struggle. But then Cora comes along. That's great. Um, so now you can see there's sort of this rhythm to it, this kind of pace, this thing, you know. So now the last sort of big thing that happened in my life was Serbia. And maybe that was just a gift from God for all the years previous to that of struggling. Um, but it was, there was also some things in there that were put in place for the future. So now we're at this place. I'm leaving SCAM. Things are a little unsure at the moment for us as a family. Um, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, not trying to be cocky, but confident. Like, God's got this. I don't know what's next. Ten years ago, I would be freaking out right now. But because I can see this whole story, and I can see it every step of the way, that God stepped in and changed the direction. Um, and I placed those Ebenezers in my life. And I can see where that divine assistance stepped into my life. So now I'm at this place and I'm kind of like, okay, I've done this before. It's not fun. I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm not afraid of it either. I'm, I'm excited to see what God does next. What did the next step is in our life? That's the big thing that I wanted to like leave you guys with in telling my story. Um, so what do you do with all this stuff? 
Write your story down. Figure out where the Ebenezers are in your life. You might realize there's a lot more good stuff than bad stuff. Or you might realize there was a lot of bad stuff, but the good stuff outweighs it. But the bad stuff tends to sit in our brains and carry more weight than the good stuff does. But when you put it down on paper and you look at it when it's all written out, then you can kind of be like, oh, okay, God did stuff. That's really cool. That's why we do story night. Last week we had story night. It was fantastic. These three women shared their stories. And it was great. Um, so this is sort of a continuation of that. But it's, I would encourage you to write down your stories. And then mark the places where there are those Ebenezers. Um, my, my guys group that we have on Tuesday nights, we read this book uh, called Believing God by Beth Moore. It was pretty sweet. It's four dudes reading a Beth Moore book. Um, and this is where we kind of got this concept of writing your story down and writing the Ebenezer. She talks about this in the book. Um, so I would encourage you to do that at some point. The next thing is if you are inclined, make something. If there's something that is meaningful for you in your life, make something. Build a physical Ebenezer. God gives us these physical ways to remember him all the time. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. That's a physical way that we can remember him. Um, Don't just try to remember things. Practice remembering. Do something to create a, a hard memory. I don't know, that's for sure. Create a hard memory. Um, I have a few negative experiences in there that I would consider Ebenezer's. Um, the time at camp when I was in high school. It's so dumb. It's, it's almost annoying that that affected me as much as it did. But it did. Um, it took me years to figure out what that was and that it was just God trying to get my attention, saying, hey, I, I made this distasteful to you because you're putting too much emphasis on it and not enough emphasis on me. Um, so I mark those negative experiences, some of those negative experiences as Ebenezer's in my life because I can see that that was a place Again, where divine assistance stepped in and moved me, changed my direction. So hear me clearly when I say this part. This is my little addendum to that. Abuse and trauma are not Ebenezer's. If you have abuse and trauma in your life, it's part of your story. It happened. Those things are real. 
but it is not a commemoration of divine assistance. Seek help, go to counseling, do whatever you need to do, but don't wear your abuse and trauma as a badge of honor. And that's not to put what happened to you down or to say that it wasn't important or meaningful in your life. It's just to say that those things are not an Ebenezer. Those things are not a badge of honor. Um, we're pretty good at that here at Scum. We're pretty good at wearing those things on our sleeve and saying, I've been through this. And that's okay. The whole wounded healer thing is good. I, I've suffered from depression for as long as I can remember, for over 30 years. I try not to lead with that uh, when I meet people. I've, I've worked youth camps where the speaker walks out on stage and the first thing out of his mouth is, hey, I'm Joe, I have ADD. And I'm like, don't identify with that. That's not a badge of honor. That's not, I know he's trying to relate to junior high kids, but you know, it's kind of annoying. Like, so that's my little thing about that. Don't, their negative experiences can be an Ebenezer, but abuse and trauma are not those things. Um, so let's stop wearing that on our sleeve. And again, healing and redemption from abuse and trauma in your life can be an Ebenezer. That is God stepping in and helping you with divine assistance. So that's just what I have to say about that. We can go on to the next thing, get that picture off there. Um, last thing I'll say here is, here's a, just another verse about remembering, about not forgetting. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Writing these things down, creating Ebenezer's, creating a physical object that is a commemoration of divine assistance is not forgetting what God has done in your life. There's a lot of cool stuff that I did in there and a lot of really stupid stuff that I did in there. But those are the things, what I told you tonight, those are the places where God stepped into my life and changed things. Maybe made things hard, maybe made things better, but it was to get me to this place where I'm at. That's what I got for tonight, except for one more thing. Um, we're going to take communion and when we're done with the communion uh, elements maybe just take them into the kitchen what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this stone and I'm going to put it on this little table up here and I had Cora paint it this afternoon it says thus far the Lord has helped us um, and so what we're going to do with this stone this is for scum. I encourage you to write your own personal story down. But this stone here is for scum. 
If scum has impacted you in any way where God has stepped in in your life, I want you to come. I have some markers, like some big Sharpies. And what I want you to do is to draw a picture on this stone. I thought about signing your name, but then I was like, nah, let's, let's make it a little more informal. And it's just your way of agreeing with this statement and focusing on what God has done for you here at SCUM rather than worrying about the future or rather than being upset at maybe bad things that have happened here at SCUM. We have those things. We're human. We're a church. We get on each other's nerves. But let's focus on what God has done. If God has impacted your life in some way here at SCUM, it's, uh, this is going to be kind of weird. So take communion first, if you want to do that. And then I'm going to put this rock on the table. And then during the last worship set, at any point in time, if God has impacted your life here at SCUM with this community, come and draw something on this rock. And then I didn't tell anybody this because I just thought of this this morning. Um, then we're going to try to figure out a place to hang this rock up somewhere around here. <laughs> So that whenever you see it, whenever you come in here, you'll be reminded that thus far, the Lord has helped us. Draw a smiley face, draw a bird, draw a cross, I don't care, whatever, draw a stick figure. Like, if you can draw good, draw something good. If you can't draw at all, then just draw a stick figure and you'll know that it's yours. Um, and then people who come in after us will be like, what the crap is that rock on the wall? And you can tell them, that's Ebenezer. Um, that's, we are in agreement with the Lord has helped us thus far. Um, cool? All right. It's ridiculous. It's cheesy. I don't care. Get over it. Um, and then I'd encourage you, again, go back this week or at some point in the future and write your own story down and figure out all those places where God has stepped in and helped you. Um, so communion. The night before Christ went to the cross and paid the price for everything that we've ever done. He was hanging out with his guys. He took some bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Another place. Remember. Remember, we're terrible at remembering. Then he took the cup. He said, this is a representation of my blood that has been poured out for you. Whenever you drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And I'm going to add another thing. So there's lots going on here tonight because I just feel like messing with you all. Um... Take communion. 
Remember what Christ did for you, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, and that it pays for your sin, pays for your shame, pays for your anxiety. And then after you remember that part of it, um, either after you take the bread or before you eat it, remember something that God has done for you in your life. And just give thanks to God for that. Um, as part of communion, then come up, if you want to, and draw a picture on the rock of how God has impacted your life here at SCUM. Okay? There's lots going on tonight because that's what I feel like. How we take communion here at SCUM is there will be people up here and people back there, and you break off a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup. Uh, you can take it right then. You can go somewhere and pray. Um, you can take it at your own time, basically. Um, there will be some people down here in the prayer cave um, that will be willing to pray with you if you would like some prayer during this time. Um, Tyler's going to continue to lead us in worship. Um, and yeah, then all these things will be happening tonight. Cool. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and then we will enter into a time of communion and worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done for us in our lives. Um, if you've been in our lives a long time, and life is mundane, Lord, we thank you for just still being in our lives. If you're new to us and things are exciting and we aren't really sure of what to do, God, we thank you for that newness of relationship with you and the excitement that lies in there. God, we thank you for communion, for this physical way that we can engage with you that uses our sense of touch, it uses our sense of taste, of smell as a way to engage with you and remember what you've done for us. And Lord, we just thank you for coming to earth as a baby, as a man, and hanging out with us, and then paying the price for our sin, Lord, on the cross. And just, man, the awesome thing that that is. God, and then we thank you for defeating death and rising from the grave three days later so that you can be a living and active God in our lives today. And you can step in and guide our path through our lives. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you do for us every day. 
Amen.